0: I invite you to turn with me your Bibles to Psalm 90. Um, I'm going to ask you as well to keep your Bibles open or your phones on, whatever the case may be, as we uh, scroll through, walk through this uh, psalm uh, this evening. Uh, This is the only psalm uh, uh, that is ascribed to Moses. And we see glimpses of the Pentateuch in this Psalm. I'm letting you know beforehand so you'll be alert to that, where you might see a man mentioned as, as coming from dust or returning to dust or dust, uh, or you, you see something of, of uh, hear something of a flood, uh, and, and uh, being uh, the first part of the Psalm as well uh, it takes place in what could really be a wilderness scene, uh, and so it's, you can see, you can see Moses' fingerprints very clearly in this psalm. The second thing is, this, this is the first psalm in book four of the psalms. Book three, uh, the, it, the theme of book three is the king's crisis in the face of God's promises. God has promised good things, but there is a crisis in this life. And Psalm 90 begins to answer that crisis even though it describes that crisis once again in the first half of the psalm, and then we see the deliverance, the comfort in God's faithfulness. And finally, I I want you to notice, uh, take note, before we even read it, of the two major sections of the psalm. Uh, Verses 3 through 11, we might call it, borrowing on the phrase from the writer of Ecclesiastes, life under the sun. And verses 12 through 17 Life in the sun, S-O-N, okay? From life under the sun to life in the sun. Let's listen uh, to God's simply beautiful word. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all Generations Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, uh, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. um, like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is God's word. This psalm opens up beautifully. God is our dwelling place. God is our dwelling place. What comes to your mind when you think about home? I think of comfort. I think of blessed peace. Uh, I think of, of of wood stove warmth. Just love it to walk in that house in the winter time. Uh, I think it's a place where we get recharged and borrowing from Jackson Brown, uh, we go that we are recharged so that we can get up and do it again, day after day after day. I think also of the words of Robert Frost, home is where um, when you have to go there, they have to take you in. I'm not sure that's quite the way I'd like to phrase it, but home, a place of comfort, we think of hospitality, we think of warmth. God is our home Uh, before and Above creation, he is our ultimate environment. In him, we live and move and have our being. And yet, verses 3 through 11 describe a somewhat inhospitable place. It describes describes a rather uninviting home, if you want to look at it that way. That's why I've called it life under the sun. It is the life in which we live in a world that is fallen. And we see first of all in verses 3 through 6 that God is contrasted to us very vividly. God is timeless. We are finite. Our lives are fleeting. Finite and fleeting. The first thing we see in, in, uh, in verse 3 is that we will die. We will return uh, to dust. Um, it is inescapable. Um, you are dust, and to dust you shall return, is the quotation from Genesis chapter 3. We are always, always, even now, on our way back to dust. Inescapable. And how is it that we who are dust can be at home with an infinite and eternal God. And then God God sees time, experiences time, so much differently than we do. He sees a millennium as if it were yesterday. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the 11th century was an amazing century. A long time ago, a millennium ago, and, and we remember, for example, that in 1054... Um, the Eastern Church and the West, Western Church split over the filioque Clause uh, in the Apostles' Creed. I'll get it, we can talk about that later. But that was a big deal for the Church to split. Just eight years later, uh, it was the, the, uh, the War of Hastings and of the Normandy invasion of England. My point here is that that was a really big century. And God says, well, that was this morning. And here we are in 2021. There is with God no, what theologians like to call, a succession of moments. God doesn't wait for the next thing to happen, even though he has, uh, he has um, commanded it by his decree. There is no succession of moments with him And he takes note of you? I mean, that's amazing. Our lives, verse 5 says, are as fleeting as a dream. Uh, We may feel fear. We may feel pleasure. We may see a a strange, bizarre quality to our dreams. And they can feel so real when we're in it. But then the alarm comes off. We're jolted into into a state of awakeness. And the dream just drifts, it immediately just drifts away. Verse 5 says that that is how we are too. We are swept away like a dream. Or verse 6 says a plant that flourishes one moment and the next moment it is it just it simply withers. Our lives are fleeting. How can we be at home with a timeless God? Not only that, The psalm goes on to say in verses 7 through 11 that we are exposed by his gaze. Even as reading this psalm this evening, I couldn't help but think of Adam exposed by the presence of God. And so it is that uh, that, uh, the the garden's curse um, settles over creation like a toxic cloud. We think, for example, of Romans 1 that speaks of of flagrant sins of self-determination. Can we put it that way? That are really dishonorable acts. But then it loops all of us into it through the -the run-of-the-mill sins like coveting, envy, hey, getting kind of close to home here, aren't we? Deceit and gossip and boasting and even being disobedient to parents. Everybody knows, Paul says, even unbelievers, everybody knows that those who practice such things deserve to die. So God's wrath, as it's expressed here, is personal against those who disobey Him, and yet we all fight it We protest our innocence. There is a universal impulse to defend ourselves, to argue our innocence. How many times, can you remember being in an argument recently and what was more important to you than confessing your own part was to identify the part of your friend? Do you remember that just even maybe a few minutes ago? That's the way our hearts run. Not only that, we see in verse 8 that God has set our iniquities before us, our secret sins, in the light of his presence. Uh, God sees our iniquities and we cannot hide them. First of all, he mentions the, the secret sins, those sins that are secret to others. And, and we put on a nice front so often, put on a nice front, but inside our hearts can rage in resentment or, or gossip or whatever. But even more deadly are the sins that are secret to ourselves. The sins that are secrets to us. It's kind of like bad breath. You don't know you got it, but the people around you do. As the phrase goes, you don't know what you don't know. And as the psalmist says, those who, who can discern his errors, who can discern his hidden faults. So there we are, our lives are fleeting, Um, our lives are finite, and we are exposed before the gaze of God. And we instinctively recognize uh, the consequences of Adam's sin. Look at me at verses 9 and 10. All our days pass away under your wrath. Uh, We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Uh, The years of our lives are 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 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. This is not a hospitable place. Psalm 90 uh, is a psalm psalm that is typically, often, uh, read at funerals. And I can remember officiating at Rebecca Mullen's funeral. And I quoted this psalm, and I made this comment, something like this. That by reason by the years of our life are seventy or eighty, or by reason of particular strength or tenacity, or just what do you call Mrs. Mullen, a hundred, just because that's what she wanted to do. Life, but life is finite, and it's it's comprised of toil and trouble. It is inescapable for all of us. There is weariness and there is trouble in the best of homes. This is our life. Life under the sun. Our time is fleeting. We are finite. We are under the cloud of God's justice. Everyone is. And yet look with me at verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? What's that about? Who connects the dots? Very few connect this fleeting, stormy life that we have with the the wrath of God. Very few make that connection. That behind the brokenness of this world, recompense is inevitable. Inevitable that is, what we get for our sins, is inevitable. And yet here's where we get a glimpse of the gospel. Because there was one who knows intimately the power of God's anger. And Jesus came from his heavenly home in order to rescue us and take us there as well. He became, he became dusty like ourselves in order to face the the righteous wrath of God and to gain satisfaction for our sins. And that opens up in the remaining verses of this psalm, life in the sun. And it is a life characterized by God-given wisdom and well-founded optimism. You ready for that tonight?
1: (laughs) God-given wisdom
0: and being able to live under the sun In the sun, with well-founded optimism. Teach us to number our days. Time is short. Teach us to number our days, verse 12 says, that we may apply our hearts uh, to wisdom. And wisdom starts, certainly, with the fear of God. Uh, I will read read a couple of very familiar verses from, from Proverbs 3, and then two that are not so familiar that immediately follow. Many of us know these verses, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And then verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The J.B. Phillips translation of the New Testament uh, says, he says in, um, in in the beginning of uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, don't let the world uh, squeeze you into its mold. <laughs> squeeze you into its mold. How are you tempted by worldly wisdom? Um, in this in this election cycle, I I just I just the world squeezes the church into its mold. Can I put it that way? How are we tempted, all of us, by worldly wisdom? I, I, I expect to see and read some distressing articles in the paper in the last couple of days about those who are on different sides of the political spectrum uh, become enemies and frankly, even fear for their lives. Truly, fear for their lives. Um, it is common for us to become enemies with those with whom we, do, to, with those with whom we disagree politically And as part of that, we paint them in the worst possible light and even tragically, more tragically, deny them in our own minds human dignity. And that becomes an excuse for hating them. In the church, as we deal with differences among ourselves, we may not allow the divisions in the world out there to affect us. We simply may not do that. That is allowing worldly wisdom to shape the way we act in the church. We may disagree, but we work hard at understanding and we never reject a person who disagrees with us. And that is common in the world. Teach us to number our days. We are here a relatively short time. Let us fear you and love our fellow men. There are echoes in verse 13. There are echoes of uh, of, of verse 3. Remember at verse 3 it says, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. But look here. Look in verse 13. It says, says, Return, O Lord. Have pity uh, on your servants. You return to dust. You remember your frailty. And then we say to the Lord, Lord, you turn back to us. In mercy, you help us. We yearn and receive his presence with us, and we receive also his coming to us. We have the presence. We have his presence uh, with us, and he is coming for us. Be our home throughout all generations. So the first thing, the first thing we have, apply your hearts to wisdom, pursue wisdom, pursue the fear of the Lord. Pursue the fear of the Lord. Pursue wisdom. The second thing, this is where we have some well-founded optimism in two areas. And the first one is, God calls us to be satisfied in him. To pursue our satisfaction in God. And In fact, he says, make that your prayer every day. Now, I want you to think about what it's like for you to wake up on any given morning. Okay, you get yourself back in your bedroom and you hear that uh, lovely alarm clock sound. Some of you may not use alarm clocks, don't need them anymore. Some of you do. And you wake up, what is the first thing that crowds into your mind? It'd be fun to hear what you have to say about that. The first thing that crowds into your mind. For some it could be anxiety just because of things you know that are ahead of you that day. For others, this could be a big sigh of, oh no, another one, I'm tired. I know that sometimes when I wake up, there's a sense of a little bit of franticness in my stomach. And before I even get out of bed, I feel like I'm behind. <sighs> Not a great day, to, a way to start the day. We pray for a sense of love from God. Uh, I stumbled across a prayer about a about a, oh a year ago, I guess, and have used it myself every day most days, and have shared it with others who feel like it 's appropriate and in that prayer that morning prayer uh, there's there 's a desire um, to to um, for Lord give me enough love for this day and the first the first prayer then is the first way to express that is love from you so i 'm not scared. ...or driven. That's the first way we need to express... ...or need to experience God's love from God... ...that we are not scared or driven. You see, we do know that we're finite. Of course we know that. Yet even for Christians, people can be too big... ...and God can be too small... And even for Christians, there might be a gnawing, inflamed conscience that does not find its rest in Jesus as frequently as it should. And so God calls us to start your morning. Listen to this. God calls you to start your morning with the prayer, uh, Lord, um, satisfy us in the morning, this morning. Satisfy me this morning with your unfailing love, and it's not we do not something we do just once. Because look at what he says; he says so that um, we may rejoice and be glad all our days, all of them. And so, how appropriate that this is a this is this is a prayer we mutter under our breath before we even get out of bed. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may be rejoice and be glad all, all our days. And why does God want that for you? Why does God want that for you? It, it's not that he's offering us some little emotional jolt, like a cup of coffee to sort of lift us up for a little bit and then we sort of fizzle out as the day goes by. It's not that. I think instead, for people like me, and maybe people like you, um, we sometimes can settle for right knowledge of God and do it almost with a self-congratulating air. and, And yet miss out on the vital presence of our loving the Lord and His steadfast love. And it reminds me of... Uh, John Piper makes, draws this picture that that uh, that you, you you go to the rim of the Grand Canyon, okay? And it, it, it's really if not not been there. That would be a good thing to put on your bucket list. It is a st- fabulous sight, but it would be like going to the Grand Canyon, and and you're right there. I won't jump, but you're right there on the on the edge of it, and you hold up in front of your face a little postcard of the Grand Canyon, and you find it fascinating to look at that postcard instead of seeing. The chasm open up. We can settle for knowledge of God that is true and beautiful but doesn't yet reach the heart, the the depths of our heart. And so God says, God says, this is your prayer. Let me satisfy you with my steadfast love so that you can live a life daily, daily of joy in Him. You see, when we truly apprehend God's beauty, we cannot help but be satisfied. Let, let's go on, though. Uh, then, then verse 15. This is a strange one. Make us glad as for many days you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we've seen evil. It seems unrealistic, sort of, but it almost sounds almost dishonest, as if we are to... Pretend that we like suffering and toil? We enjoy pain? I, I think what the Lord is, is getting at here, as I, as I see this, is that we oftentimes have a better grasp on God's greatness than we do on His goodness. We oftentimes have a better grasp of His greatness than we have of His goodness. I'll remind you again of Heidelberg 26 He will turn uh, my good. He will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad, sad world. He is able to do this because he is Almighty God. He desires to do it because he's a faithful Father. Everything that comes into our lives—difficult struggles, disappointments. By God's kind hand, because He's going to work that adversity to our benefit. It's not that we're glad we have trouble, but is in the the first prayer in this little book, the Valley of Vision, talks about being in a very deep well, and the deeper you are in that well, as you look up, I'm not sure exactly how this happens, but it's what it says uh, that you, you can see. The deeper and darker the well, the more you can see the stars, even even in the daytime. I don't get that part of it. But the point of it is, the deeper we are in these difficult times, it is our opportunity to go deeper with Jesus. And that is always good. I've had the opportunity in in this past year to, to hear the stories of a couple of different people undergoing enormous problems and difficulties in in their lives. And And in both cases, there was a turning to Christ for faith, for salvation, because they were desperate for God. People, even as believers, we can be desperate for God, and we find Him. There is an expectancy here, an expectancy as we seek him and are satisfied in him. But there's also an expectancy and an optimism of finding our our hope in God in verses 16 and 17. Uh, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Uh, Israel saw all kinds of wonders. They saw the, the sea split wide open and they were able to walk in the opening. There was bread from heaven. We sang about it earlier. There, there was sweetness and joy coming from a rock. The rock that was struck was Jesus himself feeding his people in the desert. And yet we too see God's redemptive power at work. And the psalmist here is saying, expect to see his wonders even His grace in today's wilderness. Expect to see His wonders, the wonders of His grace. Here's one that I see regularly, and I marvel every time, when I see a Christian humbling himself, humbling herself before the Lord, and confessing pride or willfulness or whatever it might be. When a Christian repents, It is a deep work of God and it is beautiful. May our children be gripped with the miracle of God coming from heaven to rescue us with His promise to take us back home to heaven. Uh, Your glorious power to their children. That's what we're praying. May our children see this life-saving life saving Power. This is our prayer. And then finally, verse 17, and this happened to be my parents' uh, life verse, I guess you could call it. uh, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let the beauty, the unfailing generosity, the kindness of God be upon us. So that when we work, it's for His glory, for the kingdom of God. We work because God works, and He graciously lets us in on it. Just, just, I don't want to be complicated here, I just want to keep it very, very simple that you serve others gladly through your work. Some of you are going to get up tomorrow morning and maybe move to the next room, maybe move, go drive down the road a ways. You're going to work somewhere. And, and do that with joy in your heart and in a way to both honor God and love your fellow man. Make that your goal as you go to work. I'm going to love people through what I'm doing today and honor him and honor the Lord in this who is your real boss. You serve others gladly even in this fallen world. Samuel says to Saul, uh, Saul, you're going to be appointed king. Uh, someone's going to anoint you. And, and, and so this is what Samuel says to Saul. Do what your hands find to do, for God is with you. And that's what I'm calling you to do tomorrow morning. Do what your hands find to do, for God is with you. We also, however, look beyond the horizon of our own experience now. We look beyond the horizon to heaven coming down. And so we work for our returning king by investing in people. We always work for our returning king By investing in people. Be steadfast and movable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Never in vain. Do you want to change the world? Oh my goodness. Don't we all want to do that in some measure? We'd like to reshuffle the deck or whatever we need to do to make some changes around here. You want to change the world? Here's what you do. You love your neighbor. You love your neighbor one at a time. You pray for your neighbor. And you pray also for the wisdom to practice appropriate deeds of mercy and love. It doesn't sound flashy. But you pray in your household, establish the work of our hands, O Lord. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And then watch the kingdom come. Amen. I'm going to pray this evening using the first prayer in Valley of Vision let's pray together three in one one in three Lord you are high and holy meek and lovely, thou hast brought us to the valley of vision, where we live in the depths, but see thee in the heights. hemmed in by mountains of sin, we behold your glory. Let us learn by paradox, that the way down is the way up. That to be low is to be high. That the broken heart is a healed heart. That the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. Lord in the daytime stars can be seen from the deepest wells and the deeper the wells the brighter your stars shine let us find your light in our darkness your life in our death your joy in our sorrow your grace in our sin your riches in our poverty, your glory in our valley. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.